All right. Good morning. We will continue in our series this morning on encounter about different people that have had an encounter with Jesus. As a result of that, they've come away changed forever. They come away different. I know that um, one of the things that, that you may know that I, I enjoy quite a bit is study, studying the major religions of the world, the major false religions of the world, because it gives me an opportunity to look and see what people believe and actually gives me an opportunity to be able to reach out to those people with the love of Christ and be able to show them that what they really need, as opposed to these false religions that they're following, what they really need is Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I have actually studied quite a bit, which is very kind of strange but interesting all at the same time, is the fact that I have studied Scientology. Um, it, what triggered that for me was I was actually in Los Angeles walking down Hollywood Boulevard, and I was handed a, a gospel track, if you want to call it that. It was their gospel, not the true gospel, but it was a gospel track from a Scientologist. Now, unfortunately, I didn't have a whole lot of time to sit there and interact with the Scientologist, although I would have liked to find out more about what it is that they believe and talk to him about, you know, why it is he believes what he believes. But anyway, so I was handed that and I kind of looked over it for a minute and I, I kept it with me. I don't know where it is right now, but I know that I, I still have it somewhere tucked away in a drawer, a gospel track from a Scientologist, which was pretty cool. Um, they have this giant, on Hollywood Boulevard, they have this huge sign that says that you can find Scientology here, right here on Hollywood Boulevard. And I was doing some more research. I guess, you know, my curiosity was piqued about what it is they believe, where it is that they're coming from with their philosophy, theology. You know, I was intrigued by it. So I started to watch some series or, or a series of documentaries on Scientology. Um, and and, and I, it turns out that I, I, I kind of understand where they're coming from a little bit in how they reach people with their message. And, and I started to think about, does this have any practical application to Christianity, to Christ followers? Is there anything here that we should look at and say, huh, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if there's something we could actually learn from them, believe it or not. Because I believe that every single time that you encounter something in life, you have an opportunity to learn from it, even if it's false, even if it's a false truth, right? You can actually learn from it a little bit. One of the ways that they actually um, they, they, they connect with people initially for Scientology is to do this, is that they find some people, in particular people that look like they're struggling, and they go, man, what's going on in your life? What, what, what problems are you encountering right now? And there would, they would be people that go, well, I, I just got a divorce. And they would say, well, we have a course for you. Um, it's, it's not necessarily a Scientology course. Is what They don't tout it as a Scientology course. What they do is they say, we've got a course on relationships. You need to come to our course on relationships. And so they, they connect with people on that level. They, they see that they've got, they got heartache there, that they've got something going on in their lives there. So they just say, hey, come and check out our course on relationships. Then the person does. They say, okay, hey, you know what? Obviously, I got some issues with relationships. I probably should go and check this course out. And, and before long, they have roped them into some of the, the ways of thinking and the mentality of Scientology. Or somebody may say that I have an issue with my finances. I'm broke. You know, I don't know if anybody here can identify with that, but, but <laughs> being broke is a real struggle. You know what I'm saying? Because there's a lot of people that's broke. So um, the, the Scientologists would go, oh, you're having financial issues, you know. No, I'm broke. I'm not having financial issues. I'm broke. So they would, 
They would say, well, come, and we have a course on how to manage your finances more effectively, how you can be more successful in whatever job or career that you're pursuing. We've got courses in that. Come and check out one of our courses. And before long, they're roped into Scientology and their theology and their belief system and all of this false religion that they've developed. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard is the guy who developed Scientology. And what he said, and I don't know why people follow Scientology considering what this man said, but he said, literally, he said himself, he said, if you really want to make money in this world, the best way to do it would be to create a religion. And then lots of people would give you money, and then you could, you could really expand from there. But the, the way you could really make some money is to build a religion. And then, years later, L. Ron Hubbard goes and creates a religion called Scientology, and lo and behold, he's got tons of money. And everybody, I don't, I don't get that, personally. I don't get following some dude that says, if you create a religion, you can have lots of money. He creates a religion, lots of people follow it. I don't get that, but whatever, okay? So they're, they're just wrong in their theology, obviously. But, but it is interesting, when I was starting to look at the way that they approach people, I started to think, man, you know, if they were to take a pattern to follow, wouldn't they take the pattern of, uh, obviously, the true religion and, and then begin to twist it? Wouldn't they take the religion of Christianity, the relationship with Christ? I don't want to call it a religion so much as I want to call it a relationship with Christ. And wouldn't they take that and start to manipulate that and twist it and change it a little bit? And wouldn't that be the best way to be able to, to rope people in? Um, because you know that that's how Satan works, right? I mean, we see from the very beginning in, in Genesis where Satan takes the truth and just twists it a little bit, and before you know it, all of mankind is ruined forever. And I mean, that's the way Satan works. And if you look at our lives, we encounter Satan, we encounter the enemy, we encounter sin, and it's like the truth, but it's just twisted a little bit to make it look different and make it look more appealing, right? Well, look at, look at the way that they approach people. When, when, when they're talking to people about the fact that they need something more in their life. They find people that are in a low place in their life, and they start talking about the issues that are going on in their life. Well, that is exactly what Jesus did when he encountered people. He started looking at the place that they were in, and he said, you know what? I can identify with where you are. I hear what you're saying. What you need is something more than what you've experienced right here. Now, Scientology sells you a false religion. They sell you a bunch of courses and, and a bunch of ways for them to make money. One of the ways that they do this is they have these readings is what they're called. Everybody's like, I'm not going to a reading. Good for you. Don't go to a reading. So anyway, what they do is they give you this device and you hold it in your hand. Okay, and <laughs> Mark's already laughing. Um, so you hold it in your hand and you start talking about things. You start talking about what's going on in your life and they start asking you these questions, right? And will they have a meter on the other side and they will tell you, oh, you're not being honest right now. Like almost like a lie detector test almost. They, but they will say it this way. It's not that you're not being honest. You're just not being honest with yourself. You're not looking deep enough inside yourself. You're not really seeing what's going on here. And you go to these readings, you're like, oh, I'm not being honest with myself. You know? I, I, I mean, they, they ask you these questions where you can never really, you know, you tell if it's a truth or a lie necessarily because it's just questions that are very vague and very generalized. How do you feel about yourself? Do you feel good about yourself? And you say, I, I feel good about myself. And they go, oh, that's a lie. You're lying to yourself right now. Well, how are you going to prove that? How are you going to prove if that's a lie or not? I mean, I feel like I feel good about myself. Maybe there's something going on. Maybe I don't know. You know? Have you ever felt that way? Like, I, I, I think I feel okay today. 
I don't know, maybe there's something going on. You go to the hospital, you could go to the ER at any point in time in your life, and they can find 10 things wrong with you, right? Am I right? If they scan you enough times, they can find something wrong with you, right? Well, that's what the Scientologists do. They say, oh, we got to go deeper. You know what? You need another reading. Now, this reading, I know the first one was free. <laughs> it sounds like a drug addict. Doesn't it? I know the first one was free, but the next one's going to cost you 100 bucks. So you come back next week, bring 100 bucks, and then we'll do another reading, and we'll dig into your problems and exactly what's going on. Just come back next week, and, and we'll do another reading, and, and we'll figure out why you're lying to yourself. I didn't know I was lying to myself. I thought I felt pretty good today. And then you come back next week, and they ask you some more questions. You know what they say at the end of that session? You need another reading. But this one, we got to go a little bit deeper. So you might want to bring about $500 because this is a deeper reading. And before you know it, Tom Cruise is up to here and he's paying $50,000 for a session. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the way that they work. That's what they do. It's this whole scheme of getting you to invest in this religion. And it's all for the purposes of making money. But what I want to tell you, what I want to tell you that I kind of saw is that, is that man, Jesus... He addressed people at their lowest place. He addressed people at where they were in their deepest, darkest needs. And, and, and it wasn't false what he was telling them. He said that what you need above everything else is, is you don't need anything that man can provide, but you need everything that God can provide. That, 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 that there, there's no super secret reading that's going on between you and another man. There's a super secret reading that's going on between you and God, and God knows what you need. And what you need more than anything is you need a real relationship with him. And that's the truth, and that's the gospel that we lock on to. But I think this, I think this. So, so what I was trying to figure out is, is when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, when I'm telling them what it is that they need, I really think that, that I need to remember the Scientologists. I know that sounds strange, okay? I know it sounds weird for me to say that, but let, hear me out. Hear, hear what I'm saying. I think that we need to connect with people's struggles and we need to connect with people in where they are in their low place in their life is what I think that we need to do. Because we tell people all the time, we tell people things like, you have sin in your life and it's hurting you. And they go, okay, first of all, I, I kind of understand what sin is. It's like bad stuff, right? But I don't see how that's hurting me. You know, I, it, it, yeah, there are times I feel bad about some of the stuff I do, but that only lasts for a little while, and then it goes away. We're not connecting with them on the place that they are. We're not telling them about the things that are really in their desperate need, they're in desperate need of. For example, people that, that maybe have gone through a recent divorce, and you may, you may need to look at them and say, you know that lonely feeling that we all get? You know, you know that place of emptiness that we all get to. We feel like, man, we've, we've, done, we've tried everything. We've gone ev to all ends of the earth and, and tried to figure this whole thing out. And I cannot, for the life of me, figure it out on my own. And we go, you know, what I figured out in my own life is that when I feel in that empty, dark place, I feel like uh, when God has, God has revealed himself to me, I, I, I finally gave my life over to him. And what happened to me through that process is that I figured out I wasn't alone. I figured out that that emptiness inside of me was a desperate need for God. And there was no human being that could fill that emptiness. It was only God that could fill that emptiness. I think there's something to be learned there. I think there's something that can be said for connecting with people on that level. And we're going to talk some more about this in just a minute. But I want us to look closely for just a second 
in Matthew chapter 27 about a guy who had an encounter with Jesus. Now, I don't think there's any indication this guy came to faith in Jesus Christ. I don't think there's any indication whatsoever that he actually surrendered his life to Jesus. As a matter of fact, I would say probably opposite is probably true that that he didn't give a rip about Jesus or who he was or what he had to offer. Um, This guy's name is Barabbas, and many of us have heard about Barabbas. But here uh, we see Pilate, um, who's kind of in charge of deciding Jesus' fate, whether he would would die or live, and and they they give him a choice. Uh, The Jewish people kind of, it's a custom for them to do this, and, and we'll talk about it in just a second, but they, they, he's got a choice as to whether he lets Barabbas go or he lets Jesus go because they're both kind of on trial. So I want to share with you from Matthew chapter 27. Jesus has been sold out by Judas for 30 pieces of silver, and, and we see that in the, the first part of Matthew chapter 27 beginning in verse 1, and then we go on to verse 11. It says this, Now Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor, Are you the king of the Jews, the governor asked. Jesus replied, you have said it. So I want to stop right there for just a second. You see, the reason that the the Israelites, many of the Israelites, in particular the priests, the high priests um, and and, and the leadership in, in Israel did not like Jesus is because he claimed to be the son of God. Here we see Jesus acknowledging that he is the king of the Jews. Now this is important, I think. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Jesus, because he was fully God, he could not lie, right? He could not say anything that was not true, right? So what could possibly get Jesus crucified? What could possibly drive Jesus to the grave? Because Jesus ultimately had to die for us. We know that. We know that our sins had to be forgiven, and the only way that that can happen is by the shedding of blood, and it had to be the perfect sacrificial lamb of Jesus Christ that had to do that. So how could Jesus do something that would cause him to have to be killed and still tell the truth? Because it seems like that, that the only way you could do that is if you did something illegal, right? You do, you're a criminal of some sort. That's the only way that you would be sentenced to be put to death. He had to be, they had to want to kill him for some reason. And the Israelites, the reason they wanted to kill him was because he was telling the truth. They said that it was blasphemy for him to call himself God, to say that he was the son of God. They said that that could not be true. And the whole time Jesus was telling the truth. That made them want to kill him. If you think about, I mean, it just blows my mind, the things that, that, that had to happen in order for him to be able to, Jesus not to sin and tell the truth and them still want to kill him, what had to line up there. And as far as Pilate is concerned, he, he's a Roman governor. He doesn't care if, if he says he's God. He, he, he could say he was Bozo the Clown. Pilate doesn't give a rip. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't matter what he says he is to to. To Pilate, except he says one thing, he says he's the king of the Jews. Now that, there ain't no king of the Jews, according to Pilate, in the, in the Roman government. That's only, there's only one king, and that's the emperor of Rome, and, and there, nobody else is going to claim to be the king of the Jews. So here, Jesus is, all he's doing is telling the truth, and that's going to condemn him to death, according to Pilate. I feel like it's so important that we recognize that, that Jesus was telling the truth, yet these were the things that had to line up perfectly for him to not be able to sin but still be condemned to death. And Jesus looked at him and says, you've said it. 
You've said it. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusation against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they are bringing up against you? I mean, Jesus is just sitting there quiet, quiet as according to, to Scripture, as Scripture would say, that he would sit there quietly while they accused him of all these false things. Pilate demanded, but Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. Now, it was the governor's custom each that... It was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? They knew very well that the religious leader, he knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Then, just then, Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his Wife, send him this message. Leave this that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him. Now here, we see a lot of, a lot of things going on. Pilate is conflicted because um, I want you to understand that this guy, Barabbas, um, I, I know that, that we always see him as a bad guy, and, and, and I get that, okay? And, and he really was, for the most part, he was a bad guy. Um, he, was, he was leading these, these charges against Rome. He would get people all riled up, and they'd go attack Romans, and they would kill Romans, and and, and the, the problem with Barabbas is that he was fighting the, the right enemy. He was just fighting them the wrong way, right? So he was going against the Romans, just like all the Israelites didn't necessarily like the fact that the Romans had control over them and the fact that the, the Romans had no interest in the God of the Israelites. They had no interest in them whatsoever. All they wanted out of the Israelite was to claim territory over what they had in their possession. So that's that's basically all the Romans had. They, they were not invested in anything that was Israelite at all. They just cared about getting more for themselves, and that's all the Romans cared about. And, and Barabbas, he was getting people riled up about that, and he was fighting against the Romans. But he was doing it the wrong way. He was doing it by, by, by murdering people and killing people. And I, I think a lot of times uh, we, we, we kind of look over this, that do that you know that there's a lot of times in our life when we are fighting the right enemy. We're just fighting the right enemy the wrong way. You, you ever deal with that in your own life? Like you can feel the struggle going on and, and, and you know that, 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 that the enemy's there and, and you know exactly uh, what's going on exactly, but, but you just, you're, you're struggling the wrong way to fight that enemy. And I, I think that in a lot of ways that we forget the fact that God is there for us to fight alongside, that God is fighting our fights for us, and we're just supposed to follow along behind him. But instead, we take things into our own hands, and we say that I'm going to fight this way. And God says, no, that's not my way. That's, that, that's not my way at all. And we see Pilate has an encounter with Jesus. And really, Pilate's position with Jesus is he's just indifferent to Jesus. There are a lot of people that have an encounter with Jesus, and they're indifferent to the message that he's delivering, and Pilate is in this position. Pilate is, is out for his own neck, and that's all Pilate worries about. All Pilate cares about is making sure that the crowds are quiet, and they don't get back to Rome, that, that, that he's, he, he's not doing his job. That's all Pilate really cares about. 
He, he's, he's the governor in charge of that town, and he's just, he's just making sure that things keep quiet, and that's all he cares about. He's, he's out to save his own neck. But his wife comes to him, sends him a message, say, hey, you need to leave this dude alone. I'll, I have been suffering in my spirit all night long trying to figure out what's going on, and I had this dream about Jesus, and he's an innocent man, and you got to let him alone. you got to leave him alone. you got to stay out of this, man. Don't punish this guy for something he didn't do. So, so we see Pilate's wife has this vision of Jesus that is given by God to her, and Pilate still remains indifferent to Jesus. So I think that there's, there's just an encounter that happens with Pilate's wife through God, and I believe that, that, that she has is, is got this real sense of desperation in her heart to try to tell her husband, man, this is not a good thing what you're about to do. But Pilate remains indifferent. Do you know how many people remain indifferent to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? They just, I mean, they're like, yeah, whatever, man. Now, I mean, like I said just a minute ago, that we try to tell them, man, your sin is killing you. And they're like, why? Why is that a big, what are you talking about, man? I don't, I don't really care about my sin. You know, I, I've, yeah, I've done some things and, uh, you know, sexually I've sinned quite a bit. And, and there's a lot of things where I've, I've delved into with drugs and alcohol and, played around with that stuff a little bit, and, and, and yeah, whatever. I mean, it wasn't a big deal. Now I don't really feel so guilty about it. We're trying to tell them how it's hurting their relationship with God, and they don't even know who God is. They, they don't even have a clue who God really is. So when we tell them it's hurting their relationship with God, they go, eh, so what? But when we tell them, hey, you know, you know how, how you just went through a funeral last week? And your, your brother or your sister died, and you, you were like, you didn't know where they were going or what was going to happen to you at the end of your life when you, when you died, and, and you were like sitting there struggling with it, because I've been in that place before, man. I've sat in funerals before and not known, man, I, I don't know what's going to happen to me when I die. You ever felt like that? And, and you start talking to them about a real kind of hope. You kind of t start talking to him about, you know, what happened for, to me was the fact that, that I began to understand when I looked at God's word and God's word started to speak to me, I began to understand that there was more to it than just being covered up with some dirt at the end of my life. I began to understand that, man, there's, there's a new creation that exists in me because I have given my life to Christ. And that new creation, it doesn't stop when this life ends. It just continues on. And the reason I have hope is because I have loved ones that have put their faith in Jesus Christ the same way. And I know that their life just continues on. I don't know how you deal with the lack of hope. I, 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 I mean, I, I've, I've been there before and I know what it was like to not have hope. And, and now that I have hope, everything's different in the way I think and the way that I, I pursue my life now. You see what I'm saying about how we approach people with the gospel? You see what I'm saying about how we approach people with the fact that they, they have this feeling inside of them and we try to talk to them about God, but they don't really understand God. So we have got to get on their level a little bit to be able to tell them about God because we know that we were in that place too. Look, I know that as we grow in Christ, as we grow in our relationship with Christ, that we begin to change our perspective on a lot of things, but we got to get away sometimes from such biblical talk to start talking about people, to talk, talking to people in the place where they are so that they can understand what they desperately need and the fact that they need Jesus Christ. But we can't start out in that place. we got to start out in the place where they are right there.
Because that's the place that we were in at one point in time. Let's go back. The crowd shouted, give us Barabbas. The, the crowd, I think that a lot of them were probably indifferent, but a lot of them were influenced by the people standing around them. You ever seen that happen before? I didn't have such a strong feeling about it, but everybody else started yelling, this is what we want. So I was like, yeah, I guess that's what I want too. Yeah, you've seen that happen a number of times, haven't you? I've even fallen victim to that. I face the door in the elevator. You know why? Because if I face the back of the elevator, people really look at you like you're weird. You know what I mean? Now, is it true that on occasion, sometimes I face the back of the elevator just because I want people to think I'm weird? Yes, that does happen. I tell you what, you ever want people to look at you like you're strange, get in a crowded elevator and look at everybody. <laughs> Start talking about cleaning your guns. Um, but people tend to go along with what everybody else is doing, and I, I believe that's the majority of the crowd here. I believe the leadership is trying to say, you know what, this guy's to be put to death, and everybody else... Not because that's what they believe, but because that's what everybody else is saying. They're going along. Yeah, crucify him. Put him to death. Give us Barabbas. A logical person would look at Jesus and go, man, this guy hasn't really done it. He's not a threat to society. This other dude's killing people. You know what I mean? Like, he's a murderer. Do I want a murderer or this other guy who really just talks about the fact that he was the son of God? I mean, seems like to me I would, I would take the Jesus guy, you know, if, if logic even played into it. But no, they're, they're going along with what the crowd is saying, so they're yelling, crucify, crucify. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? He's pointing out the fact that this dude has not even committed a crime. But the, the mob roared even louder, crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing, so he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. So he's saying, look, I'm indifferent here. I don't really care what you guys do with him, but I, it doesn't matter to me. And the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death. We and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged, then with a lead-tipped whip, then he turned them over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, when he first came and started to talk to people about the truth of God, he read from the scroll of Isaiah, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He said, I, I have been sent here uh, to, to preach freedom to the captives, good news to the poor, sight to the blind. He said, he said, the time of the Lord is now. The Lord's favor is upon you. And, and he says, I have come for that purpose and that purpose alone. I think there's a lot of people, man, that they're they are struggling trying to understand why they are captured in this place of difficulty in their life. And we have got to get on that level and tell them what Jesus told them. We have got to get down there where they are and try to understand where they're coming from and tell them the truth of like, look, look at me. You know those struggles of suicide thought, suicidal thoughts that you've got going on in your mind? I, I, I'm telling you, listen to me, people. There's a lot of folks that struggle with thoughts of suicide. I used to be one of those, okay? 
And, and here's what goes on in the, in the mind of a person who struggles with suicidal thoughts. Here's what goes on in their mind. There's no way out. That, there's no way out. There's no way out. There's no way out. There's no way out. And you know what they hear over and over and over in their brain? There's no way out. There's no way out. The world would be better off without you. You might as well end it now. There's no way that anybody else cares in this entire world that you exist. There's no way out. There's no way out. There's no way out. There's no hope for you. This is not going to end. It's going to continue on and on and on. And it's never going to stop. And you're just going to continue to feel worse and worse and worse. And there's this spiral that goes on in your brain. And it literally is an attack. It literally is an attack on your brain where you don't know what to do. You see, people think that suicide is just the most selfish thing you could possibly do. People that struggle with suicidal thoughts, they don't think of it that way. Okay? What they, what they think in their mind is that, is that the world will be a better place without me, so that's the reason I should leave this place. And I think that we should get down on that level. And I think, you know what? You feel oppressed. You feel like you've been taken captive. And every single day, you feel like you're in a prison cell and there's no way out for you. Let me tell you about a guy who was in prison. Let me tell you about a guy who was in chains. And Jesus took his place. And he was beat and he was whipped and he was flogged so that he could be set free. His name's not Barabbas. His name is Kenny Nix. And in that deep, dark place where you think that there's no hope for you, trust me when I tell you that God can rescue you. He can take you out of that place that you're in. He can draw you in close to him and he can say, you have a new life. You thought that you were supposed to die and you were right but you were supposed to die to yourself. You feel like you're trapped in this place of addiction where you don't know how to get out. You don't know if there's ever going to be a way out for you. If you're constantly going to always struggle with, with man, I, I'm, just, I'm held captive by this addiction. Now, that addiction could be to drugs or alcohol. It could, be, it could be some sin in your life. You feel like that there's no possible way that you could be rescued from that. You feel like you're trapped in this cell that's just, that's, that's just you and, and the, the cell walls that you have created for yourself. And you feel like there's no way out. I did this to myself. This is what I deserve. And we need to tell those people. I was in a cell. I was locked away. And I felt like there was no way out. But Jesus reminded me. When I began to read God's word and I began to listen to what God was telling me, Jesus reminded me that he holds the keys. Even though I created the cell and I did it to myself, he holds the keys to let me out. But I have to, I have to give him my life and say, this cell belongs to you. What I've done belongs to you. And he opens the door and gives us the freedom to walk. I think that we have to get on people's level. I think that we have to talk to them about the place that they're in. I think that we need to use this example of Jesus setting Barabbas free. You see, Jesus set him free. Jesus set him free. It wasn't Pilate that set him free because Jesus had to go to the cross. It didn't matter what Pilate said. Jesus was going to the cross. You know why? Because we all needed to be set free. Every single one of us needed to be set free.
So Jesus went to the cross. Now, I don't typically do this, but I'm wrapping up today's message with a video. And I'm going to come back up here and pray in just a second. And then we'll have a time where you can come and give your life to Jesus Christ. You can give your struggles to Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to do. It's a different look, but that's what we're going to do today. I felt God impressing upon my heart that this is what we're supposed to do. So let's sit quietly and watch this video. We see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative. His name's Barabbas. We don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel. And why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like, what? Let's, this is about Jesus going to the cross. So in this moment, Pilate thinks, I hold the destinies of these two men in my hand. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and rebel. He says, all right, who do you want? This is blasphemy. This is, this has gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. He's a rebel against Rome. He leads a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus, what has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free? Open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper. What, what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We, we want Barabbas. Yeah, give us Barabbas. They give us Barabbas. The Roman soldiers come up and they put the key in and they unlock Barabbas from his chains and shackles. And he walks down the platform, welcomed by all of his thug friends. Yeah, the people love me. Yeah, that's right. I don't even know who this Jesus guy is, but all I know is my people love me. There seems to be no conscience of Barabbas. There's no record of him turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything now, or you have set me free. No, I don't see any of that in Barabbas. God knew that. Jesus stood there, silent for he knew the will of the Father. He said, it's fine, Father. Let him have Barabbas. For Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free. No, 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 no. It was the love of the Heavenly Father. Bad man, I love him. 
and I wanted him to go free. But didn't you know that he probably would have never acknowledged the freak it? Yeah, but I love perhaps. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son for Barabbas. Even the one he knew would walk away from Jesus and his free gift and never come back. He loves them. And the nerve, the call, the audacity of believers to think, I got saved by grace, but now that I'm in this deep, dark place of bondage, I'm going to work hard to get myself out. What? That's the opposite of the gospel. Are you bound? Are you held under the power of this temptation, this sin, the sexual urges? Do you feel like it's controlling you? What are you going to do? I'm going to shake myself free. Stop it! No, you won't. You're no match for the powers of hell and the urges of sin and sexual temptation. You will not overcome it and you will never overcome it. You'll just be another statistic. There's no answer within yourself. Your own marriage, your own goodness, your own discipline, your own devotion will not save your marriage and will not save your kids. There's only one. And he's the one that took your place. He's the one that stood silently on the platform with Pilate and said, yes, let him have Barabbas. Take me. How many times have I stood on that platform with Pilate and Jesus and I'm the Barabbas and they start to take my chains off and I say, no, no, I deserve this. I deserve the guilt. I deserve the shame. I deserve the consequence. I deserve it. Jesus seems to look at me and say, no, son, let me have it. Let me have your sin. Let me have your pain. No, God, I did it to myself. I deserve it. My marriage won't make it. This is what I deserve. I deserve divorce. I deserve poverty. I deserve sickness. I deserve it all. No! God, I, I'm so ashamed. Give me your shame. What if I do it again? I'll still be here. Oh, God, I don't want to hurt you. I love you. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Give me your sins, son. This is all we got. It's all I got. It's all you got. We can play games. We can play church games. We can pretend like some people are better than others and that's why they're blessed, or we can all come to the honest conclusion that it's God. And it's God alone. The greatest challenge is not your discipline, your devotion, your focus. Your greatest challenge is believing the gospel. Could it be that there's a God with a love so scandalous, so wide, so deep, so fast, so high, so expansive, so welcoming, so inclusive. Let me have your sin, son. Okay. And I give him my sin. 
Let's stand in this empty space of forgiveness and acceptance while Jesus walks off to the cross that I deserve. I see him, I see him walking to the post to be whipped. As I stand a free man, all the attention is turned now. And I feel the love of God saying, go son, live your life. I'll pay the price. Where did we get off thinking that we were gonna set ourselves free? It's still Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. It'll never stop being the power of Jesus. If his blood is sufficient for your salvation, his blood is sufficient to sustain you through every challenge and every sin and every temptation. Jesus is enough. talking about reaching people in a place where they are. And God, through that, you've reached us. And that's the place that a lot of us are in. So God, thank you for reminding us that Jesus is enough. May we come today, acknowledge that you have the keys.